0: Book five, Part two, of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand Volume three. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. The Memoirs of Chateaubriand, Volume three by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand, translated by Alexander Texera de Matos, Book five, Part two. When my speech was ready, I was sent for to read it to the committee appointed to hear it. It was rejected by the committee, with the exception of two or three members. It was a sight to see the terror of the bold republicans who listened to me, and who were alarmed by the independence of my opinions. They shuddered with indignation and fright at the mere word of liberty. M. Daru took the speech to Saint-Cloud. Bonaparte declared that, if it had been delivered, he would have closed the doors of the Institute, and flung me into a subterranean dungeon for the rest of my life. I received the following note from M. Daru saint-cloud twenty eighth april eighteen eleven i have the honour to inform m de chateaubriand that when he has the time or occasion to come to saint-cloud i shall be able to return to him the speech which he was good enough to entrust to me i take this opportunity to repeat to him the assurance of the high consideration with which i have the honour to salute him daru i went to saint-cloud Monsieur daru returned me the manuscript crossed out in places and scored ab irato with parentheses and pencil-marks by bonaparte the lion's claw had been dug in everywhere, and I experienced a sort of pleasure of irritation in imagining that I felt it in my side. M. Dailloux did not conceal Napoleon's anger from me, but he told me that, if I kept the peroration, with the exception of a few words, and change almost the whole of the rest, I should be received with great applause. The speech had been copied out at the palace, some passages had been suppressed and others interpolated. Not long after, it appeared in the provinces printed in that fashion this speech is one of the best proofs of the independence of my opinions and the consistency of my principles Monsieur surat who was free and firm said that if it had been read in the open academy it would have brought down the rafters of the hall with applause can you indeed imagine the warm praises of liberty uttered in the midst of the servility of the empire i had kept the scored manuscript with religious care ill fortune will that when i left the infirmary de marie therese it was burnt with a heap of papers nevertheless the readers of these memoirs shall not be deprived of it one of my colleagues had the generosity to take a copy of it here it is when milton published paradise lost not a voice was raised in the three kingdoms of great britain to praise a work which in spite of its numerous defects remains nevertheless one of the noblest monuments of the human mind the english homer died forgotten and his contemporaries left to futurity the task of immortalizing the sing of eden have we here one of the great instances of literary injustice of which examples are presented by nearly every century no gentlemen the english but recently escaped from the civil wars were unable to bring themselves to celebrate the memory of a man who was remarked for the ardour of his opinions in a time of calamity what shall we reserve they asked for the tomb of the citizen who devotes himself to the safety of his country if we lavish honours upon the ashes of him who at most is entitled to claim our generous indulgence posterity will do justice to milton's memory but we owe a lesson to our sons we must teach them by our silence that talents are a baleful gift when allied with the passions and that it is better to condemn oneself to obscurity than to achieve celebrity through one's country's misfortunes shall i gentlemen imitate this memorable example or shall i speak to you of the person and works of m to reconcile your usages and my opinions i feel it my duty to adopt a middle course between absolute silence and a thorough consideration but whatever the words i may utter no rancour will poison this address should you find in me the frankness of my fellow-countryman duclos i hope also to prove to you that i possess the same loyalty doubtless it would have been curious to see what a man in my position holding my principles and my opinions could have to say of the man whose place i occupy to-day it would be interesting to examine the influence of revolutions upon literature to show how systems can mislead talent and direct it into fallacious ways which seem to lead to fame and only end in oblivion if milton despite his political aberrations has left works which posterity admires it is because milton without repenting his errors withdrew from a society which was withdrawing from him to seek in religion the assuagement of his ills and the source of his glory deprived of the light of heaven he created for himself a new earth a new sun and quitted so to speak a world where he had seen naught save misery and crime he set in the bars of eden that primitive innocence that blessed felicity which reigned beneath the tents of jacob and rachel and he placed in the lower regions the torments passions and remorse of the men whose furies he had shared unfortunately the works of m chenier though they show the germ of a remarkable talent glow with neither that antique simplicity nor that sublime majesty the author was distinguished for an eminently classical mind none better understood the principles of ancient and modern literature the stage eloquence history criticism satire he embraced all these but his writings bear the impress of the disastrous days that witnessed his birth too often dictated by the spirit of party they have been applauded by factions shall i in discussing my predecessor's works separate what has already passed away like our discords and what will perhaps survive like our glory here we find the interests of society and the interests of literature confounded i cannot forget the first sufficiently to occupy myself solely with the second wherefore gentlemen i am obliged either to keep silence or to raise political questions there are persons who would make of literature an abstract thing and isolate it in the midst of human affairs such persons will say to me why keep silence treat m chenier's works only from the literary point of view that is to say gentlemen that i must abuse your patience and my own by repeating commonplaces which you can find anywhere and which you know better than i man is changed with the times heirs to a long series of peaceful years our foreigners were able to indulge in purely academic discussions which were even less a proof of their talent than of their happiness but we who remain the victims of a great shipwreck no longer have what is needed to relish so perfect a calm our ideas our minds have taken a different direction the man has in us taken the place of the academician by divesting literature of all its futility we now behold it only in the light of our mighty memories and of the experience of our adversity. What, after a revolution which has caused us in a few years to live through the events of many centuries, shall the writer be forbidden all lofty considerations? Shall he be denied the right to examine the serious side of objects? Shall he spend a trivial life occupied with grammatical quibbles, rules of taste, petty literary judgments? Shall he grow old, bound in the swaddling clothes of his cradle? Shall he not show, at the end of his days, a brow furrowed by his long labours by his grave reflections and often by those manly sufferings which add to the greatness of mankind what important cares then will have whitened his hair the miserable sorrows of self-love and the puerile sports of the mind surely gentlemen that would be treating ourselves with a very strange contempt speaking for myself i cannot thus belittle myself nor reduce myself to the condition of childhood at the age of strength and reason i cannot confine myself within the narrow circle which they would trace around the writer. For instance, gentlemen, if I wish to pass a eulogy on the man of letters, on the man of the court who presides over this meeting, do you believe that I would content myself with praising in him the light and ingenious French wit which he received from his mother, and of which he displays to us the last model? No, assuredly. I should wish to make glow once more in all its brilliancy the noble name which he bears. I should mention the Duc de Boufflers, who forced the Austrians to raise the blockade of Genoa, i should speak of the marshal his father of the governor who held the ramparts of lille against the enemies of france and who by that memorable defence consoled a great king's unhappy old age it was of that companion of turenne that madame de maintenon said in him the heart was the last to die lastly i should go back to that louis de boufflet called the robust, who displayed in combat the vigour and valour of hercules thus at the two extremities of this family i should find force and grace the knight and the troubadour they say that the French are sons of Hector. I would rather believe that they descend from Achilles, for like that hero they wield both the lyre and the sword. If I wish, gentlemen, to talk to you of the celebrated poet, who sang the charms of nature in such brilliant tones, do you think that I would confine myself to pointing out to you the admirable flexibility of a talent which succeeded in rendering with equal distinction the regular beauties of Virgil and the less correct beauties of Milton? No. I would also show you the poet refusing to part from his unfortunate countrymen, accompanying them with his lyre to foreign shores singing their sorrows to console them an illustrious exile among that crowd of banished men whose number i increased it is true that his age and his infirmities his talents and his glory had not protected him against persecution in his own country men tried to make him purchase peace with verses unworthy of his muse and his muse could sing only the redoubtable immortality of crime and the reassuring immortality of virtue rassurez-vous vous vous êtes if again i wish to speak to you of a friend very dear to my heart one of those friends who according to cicero render prosperity more brilliant and adversity less irksome i should extol the refinement and purity of his taste the exquisite elegance of his prose the beauty the strength the harmony of his verses which while formed after the great models are nevertheless distinguished by their original character i should extol that superior talent which has never known the feelings of envy that talent made happy by every success other than its own that talent which for ten years has felt all that has happened to me of an honourable nature with a deep and simple joy known only to the most generous characters and the liveliest friendship but i should not omit my friend's political side i should depict him at the head of one of the principal bodies of the state delivering those speeches which are masterpieces of propriety moderation and exaltedness i should represent him sacrificing the gentle commerce of the muses to occupations which would no doubt be without charm if one did not abandon oneself to them in the hope of forming children capable of one day following the example of their fathers and avoiding their errors in speaking of the men of talent of whom this meeting is composed i could not therefore prevent myself from considering them from the point of view of morality and society one is distinguished among you by a refined delicate and sagacious wit by an urbanity nowadays so rare and by the most honourable constancy in his moderate opinions another under the ice of age found the warmth of youth wherewith to plead the cause of the unfortunate a third an elegant historian and agreeable poet becomes more venerable and more dear to us by the memory of a father and a son both mutilated in the service of the country yet another by restoring their hearing to the deaf their speech to the dumb recalls to us the miracles of the gospels to the cult of which he has devoted himself are there not gentlemen among you some witnesses of your former triumphs who can tell the worthy heir of the chancelier dugsoe how his grandsire's name was once applauded in this assembly i pass to the favourite nurslings of the nine sisters and i see the venerable author of Edip retired in his solitude and sophocles forgetting at Colonus, the glory that calls him back to athens how greatly must we cherish the other sons of melpomene who have interested us in the misfortunes of our fathers every french heart has throbbed anew at the presentiment of the death of henry the fourth the tragic muse has re-established the honour of those gallant knights dastardly betrayed by history and nobly revenged by one of our modern euripides coming to the successors of anacreon i would pause at the amiable man who similar to the veteran of taos still retells after fifteen lustra those love-songs which one begins to write at fifteen years i would also gentlemen go to seek your renown on the stormy seas which were formerly guarded by the giant adamastor and which became appeased by the charming names of eleanor and virginie tibi Alas, too many of the talents in our midst have been wandering and restless. Has poetry not sung in harmonious verse of the art of Neptune, that so fatal art which transported it to distant shores? And has not French eloquence, after defending the altar and the state, withdrawn, as though into its source, to the land where St. Ambrose first saw the light? Why can I not here place all the members of this assembly in a picture the colours of which have not been embellished by flattery? for if it be true that envy sometimes obscures the estimable qualities of men of letters it is still more true that this class of men is distinguished by lofty sentiments by disinterested virtues by the hatred of oppression devotion to friendship and fidelity to misfortune it is thus gentlemen that i love to consider a subject from all its aspects and that i love especially to give a serious character to literature by applying it to the most exalted subjects of morality philosophy and history with this independence of mind I must needs abstain from touching upon works which it is impossible to examine without irritating the passions were i to speak of the tragedy of charles the ninth could i refrain from avenging the memory of the cardinal de lorraine and discussing the strange lesson there given to kings caius gracchus callas henry the fenelon would in many respects present to me a distortion of history upon which to rest the same doctrines when i read the satires i there find immolated men occupying places in the first ranks of this assembly nevertheless written as they are in a pure elegant and easy style they agreeably recall the school of voltaire and i should take the more pleasure in praising them inasmuch as my own name has not escaped the author's malice but let us leave on one side works which would give rise only to painful recriminations i will not disturb the memory of a writer who was your colleague and who still numbers friends and admirers among you he will owe to religion which appeared to him so contemptible in the writings of those who defend it the peace which i wish to his tomb but even here gentlemen shall i not have the misfortune to strike upon a rock for in offering to Monsieur chenier this tribute of respect which is due to all the dead i fear to meet beneath my steps ashes very differently illustrious if ungenerous interpretations would impute this involuntary emotion to me as a crime i should take refuge at the foot of those expiatory altars which a powerful monarch erects to the manes of outraged dynasties ah how much happier would it have been for m chenier not to have taken part in those public calamities which at last fell back upon his head he has known like myself what it means to lose in the storms a fondly cherished brother what would our unhappy brothers have said had god summoned them on the same day before his tribunal if they had met at the hour of death before mingling their blood they would doubtless have cried to us cease your intestine wars return to thoughts of love and peace Death strikes all parties alike, and your cruel divisions cost us our youth and our life. That would have been their fraternal cry. If my predecessor could hear these words, which now console only his shade, he would appreciate the tribute which I am here paying to his brother, for he was by nature generous. It was even this generosity of character which drew him into new ideas, very seductive, no doubt, since they promised to restore to us the virtues of Fabricius, but soon, deceived in his hopes he found his mood becoming embittered, his talent changing its nature. Removed from the poet's solitude into the midst of factions, how could he have abandoned himself to those sentiments which make the charm of life? Happy had he seen no sky save the sky of Greece under which he was born, had he set eyes upon no ruins save those of Sparta and Athens. I should perhaps have met him in his mother's beautiful country, and we would have sworn mutual friendship on the banks of the Permessus. Or else, since he was to return to his paternal fields, why did he not follow me to the deserts upon which i was flung by our tempests the silence of the forest would have calmed that troubled soul and the huts of the savages would perhaps have reconciled him to the palaces of kings vain wish m chenet remained upon the stage of our excitements and our sorrows attacked while still in his youth by a mortal malady you have seen him gentlemen droop slowly towards the tomb and leave forever. i have not been told of his last moments None of us who have lived through the troubles and excitement shall escape the eyes of history. Who can flatter himself that he shall be found stainless in a time of frenzy, when none has the entire use of his reason? Let us then be full of indulgence for others. Let us excuse that of which we cannot approve. Such is human weakness, that talent, genius, virtue itself, are sometimes able to overstep the limits of duty. M. Chenier worshipped liberty. Can we ascribe it to him as a crime?' The knights themselves, were they to issue from their tombs, would follow the light of our century. We should see that illustrious alliance formed between honour and liberty, as under the reign of the Valois, upon our monuments. Gothic battlements crowned with infinite grace, the orders borrowed from the Greeks. Is not liberty the greatest of benefits and the first of man's needs? It kindles genius, it elevates the heart. It is as necessary to the friend of the muses as the air he breathes the arts are to a certain point able to live in dependence because they make use of a language apart which is not understood by the crowd but letters which speak an universal language pine and perish in irons how shall one compose pages worthy of the future if one must forbid oneself in writing every magnanimous sentiment every great and powerful thought liberty so naturally the friend of science and literature that she takes refuge with them when she is banished from the midst of the peoples and it is we gentlemen whom she charges to write her annals and to revenge her on her enemies to hand down her name and her cult to posterity for all time to prevent any mistake in the interpretation of my thought i declare that i am here speaking only of the liberty which is born of order and gives birth to laws and not of that liberty which is the daughter of license and the mother of slavery the wrong of the author of charles the ninth did not therefore lie in offering his incense to the form of these divinities but in believing that the rights which she gives us are incompatible with a monarchical form of government. A Frenchman displays in his opinions that independence which other nations show in their laws. Liberty is for him a sentiment rather than a principle, and he is a citizen by instinct and a subject by choice. If the writer whose lost your mourning had made this reflection, he would not have embraced in one and the same love the liberty that creates and the liberty that destroys. Gentlemen, I have finished the task which the customs of the Academy have laid upon me. On the point of ending this speech I am struck with an idea which saddens me. It is not long since M. Chenier pronounced upon my writings some findings which he was preparing to publish, and to-day it is I who am judging my judge. I say, in all the sincerity of my heart, that I would rather continue exposed to the satire of an enemy, and live peacefully in solitude, than bring home to you by my presence in your midst the rapid succession of men upon earth, the sudden apparition of that death which overthrows our projects and our hopes, which snatches us away at a stroke, and which sometimes hands over our memory to men entirely opposed to us in sentiment and principle. This platform is a sort of battlefield in which talents come by turns to shine and die. What diverse geniuses has it not seen pass? Corneille, Racine, Boileau, La Bruyere, Bossuet, Fenelon, Voltaire, Buffon, Montesquieu, who would not be afraid, gentlemen, to think that he is about to form a link in the chain of that illustrious lineage? Overcome by the weight of those immortal names, and unable to make myself recognized through my talents as the lawful heir, I will at least try to prove my descent by my sentiments. When my turn shall have come to yield my place to the orator who is to speak on my tomb. He may treat my work severely, but he will be obliged to say that I love my motherland passionately, that I would have endured a thousand ills rather than cost my country a single tear, that I would without hesitation have made the sacrifice of my days to those noble sentiments which alone give value to life and dignity to death. But what a moment have I chosen, gentlemen, to speak to you of mourning and obsequies! Are we not surrounded by scenes of festivity? A solitary traveller, I was meditating a few days since on the ruin of the destroyed empires, and now I see a new empire arise. Scarce have I quitted the graves in which the buried nations sleep, and I perceive a cradle laden with the destinies of the future. The acclamations of the soldier resound on every hand, Caesar mounts to the Capitol. The nations tell of marvels, of monuments upraised, cities beautified, the frontiers of the country bathed by those distant seas which bore the ships of Scipio, and by those remote waters which Germanicus did not see. While the triumpher advances surrounded by his legions, what shall the tranquil children of the muses do? They will go before the car to add the olive branch of peace to the palms of victory, to mingle with the warlike recitals the touching images which caused Aemilius Paulus to weep over the misfortunes of Perseus and you daughter of the Caesars, come forth from your palace with your young son in your arms come to add mercy to greatness come to soften victory and to temper the glitter of arms by the gentle majesty of a queen and a mother in the manuscript which was handed back to me the commencement of the speech which relates to the opinions of milton was struck out from one end to the other by bonaparte's hand a part of my protest against the isolation from affairs of state in which it was desired to keep literature was also stigmatized with the pencil the eulogy of the Abbe de Lille, which recalled the emigration and the fidelity of the poet to the misfortunes of the royal family and to the sufferings of his companions in exile was placed between brackets the eulogy of m de fontanes had a cross set against it almost all that i said of Monsieur chenier of his brother of my own of the expiatory altars which were being prepared at saint-denis was slashed with pencil marks the paragraph commencing with the words "Monsieur chenier worship liberty etc had a double longitudinal line drawn through it. Nevertheless, the agents of the Empire, when publishing the speech, kept this paragraph pretty correctly. All was not ended when they had handed me back my speech. They wanted to force me to write a second. I declared that I stood by the first, and that I would write no other. The committee then declared to me that I should not be received into the Academy. Gracious, generous, and courageous persons, unknown to myself, interested themselves in me. Mrs. Lindsay, who at the time of my return to France in 1800, had brought me from calais to paris talked to madame gay the latter addressed herself to madame Renier de saint-jean d'angely who asked the duc de revigo to leave me alone the women of that time interposed their beauty between power and misfortune all this perturbation was prolonged by the decennial prizes until the year eighteen twelve bonaparte who was persecuting me sent to the academy to ask in the matter of those prizes why they had not put the genie du christianisme on their list the academy explained several of my colleagues wrote the unfavourable judgment of my work i might have said what a greek poet said to a bird daughter of attica nurtured on honey thou who singest so well thou snatchest a grasshopper a fine songstress like thyself and carriest her for food to thy young ones both of you have wings both inhabit these regions both celebrate the birth of spring wilt thou not restore to her her liberty it is not just that a songstress should die by the beak of one of her fellows this mixture of anger against and attraction for me displayed by bonaparte is constant and strange but now he threatens and suddenly he asks the institute why it has not mentioned me on the occasion of the decennial prizes he goes further he declares to fontaine that since the institute does not think me worthy to compete for the prizes he will give me one that he will appoint me superintendent-general of all the libraries of france a superintendence with a salary attached to a first-class embassy bonaparte's original idea of employing me in a diplomatic career did not leave him he would not admit for a reason well known to himself that i had ceased to form part of the ministry of external relations and yet in spite of this proposed munificence his prefect of police invited me some time later to remove myself from paris and i went to continue my memoirs at dieppe bonaparte stooped to play the part of a teasing schoolboy he disinterred the essais sur révolution and delighted in the war which he brought down upon me on this subject a certain m Damas de, de raymond constituted himself my champion I went to thank him in the rue oui, Vivienne he had a death's head on his mantelpiece among his knick-knacks some time later he was killed in a duel and his charming features went to join the frightful face that seemed to call to him every one fought in those days one of the police spies charged with the arrest of georges received a bullet in the head from him to cut short my powerful adversary's unfair attack i applied to that m de Pomerol of whom I spoke to you at the time of my first arrival in Paris. He had become director-general of the State Printing Works and of the Department of Books. I asked him for leave to reprint the Essay in its entirety. My correspondence and the result of that correspondence can be seen in the preface to the 1826 edition of the Essay sur les Révolution, volume 2 of the Complete Works. Moreover, the imperial government was exceedingly right to refuse its assent to the reprinting of the work in its entirety. The essay was not, having regard both to the liberties and to the legitimate monarchy, a book which should be published while despotism and usurpation held sway. The police gave itself airs of impartiality by allowing something to be said in my favour, and it laughed while preventing me from doing the only thing capable of defending me. On the return of Louis Eighteenth, the essay was exhumed anew, as in the time of the empire they had wished to make use of it against me in a political respect, so in the days of the restoration they tried to plead it against me in a religious respect i have made so complete an apology for my errors in the notes to the new edition of the essay historique that there is nothing left wherewith to reproach me posterity will come and will pronounce on both book and commentary if such old trash is still able to interest it i venture to hope that it will judge the essay as my gray head has judged it for as one advances in life one assumes the equity of the future towards which one approaches the book and the notes place me before the eyes of men such as i was at the commencement of my career and such as i am at the close of that career moreover this work which i have treated with pitiless rigour offers the compendium of my existence as a poet a moralist and a future politician the pith of the work is overflowing the boldness of the opinions urged as far as it will go it must needs be admitted that in the various roads upon which i have embarked i have never been guided by prejudice that i have never been blind in whatsoever cause that no interest has led me on that the sides which i have taken have always been those of my choice in the essay my independence in matters of religion and politics is complete i examine everything a republican i serve the monarchy a philosopher i honour religion these are not contradictions they are false consequences of the uncertainty of theory and the certainty of practice among men my mind constructed to believe in nothing not even in myself constructed to despise everything splendors and miseries peoples and kings has nevertheless been dominated by an instinct of reason which commanded it to submit to all that is recognized as fine religion justice humanity equality liberty glory that which people to-day dream concerning the future that which the present generation imagines itself to have discovered concerning a society yet to be born founded upon principles quite different from those of the old society is announced positively in the essay I have anticipated by thirty years those who call themselves the proclaimers of an unknown world my acts have belonged to the ancient city and my thoughts to the new the former to my duty the latter to my nature the essay was not an impious book it was a book of doubt and sorrow i have already said so for the rest i have had to exaggerate my fault to myself and to redeem with ideas of order so many passionate ideas strewn over my works i fear lest at the commencement of my career i may have done harm to youth I owe it a reparation and at least i owe it other lessons let it learn that one can struggle successfully with a troubled nature i have seen moral beauty the divine beauty superior to every earthly dream it needs but a little courage to reach it and keep to it in order to finish what i have to say touching my literary career i must mention the work which commenced it and which remained in manuscript until the year in which i inserted it in my complete works at the beginning of the natchez the preface described how the work was recovered in england thanks to the trouble and the obliging research of Monsieur de tuisy a manuscript from which i have been able to extract atala René, and several descriptions included in the génie du christianisme is not absolutely barren this first manuscript was written in one piece without sections all the subjects were confused in it journeys natural history the dramatic portion etc but besides this manuscript composed in one stroke there existed another divided into books in this second work i had not only proceeded to the separation of the matter but i had also changed the character of the composition by altering it from the romantic to the idyllic a young man who promiscuously heaps up his ideas his inventions his studies and the results of his reading is bound to produce chaos but also in this chaos there is a certain fecundity which belongs to the potency of his age to me happened that which has perhaps happened to no other author i read again after a lapse of 30 years a manuscript which i had totally forgotten i had one danger to fear in repassing the brush over the picture i might wipe out the colours a surer but less rapid hand ran the risk while obliterating some incorrect features of causing the liveliest touches of youth to disappear it was necessary to preserve the independence and so to speak the passion of the composition the foam must be left on the bit of the youthful courser if in the natchez there are things which i would hazard only in trembling to-day there are also things which i would no longer write especially rene's letter in the second volume It is in my first manner, and reproduces all René. I do not know that the Rennais who followed in my steps can have said anything more nearly approaching folly. The Natchez opens with an invocation to the desert, and to the star of the night, the supreme divinities of my youth. In the shade of the American forests I will sing airs of solitude, such as mortal ears have not yet heard. I will relate your adversities, O Natchez, O nation of Louisiana, of whom naught save the memories remain. Should the misfortunes of an obscure dweller in the woods have less claim upon our tears than those of other men and are the mausoleums of the kings in our temples more touching than the tomb of an indian under his native oak and thou torch of meditation star of the night be for me the star of pindus go before my steps across the unknown regions of the new world to reveal to me by thy light the enchanting secrets of those deserts my two natures lie mingled in this singular work particularly in the primitive original in it are found political incidents and romantic intrigues but across the narrative there is heard throughout a voice that sings and that seems to come from an unknown region from eighteen twelve to eighteen fourteen but two years are wanting to end the empire and those two years of which we have seen something by anticipation were employed by me in researches into french history and in the writing of some books of these memoirs but i did not print anything more my life of poetry and erudition was really closed by the publication of my three great works the Gnie du Christianisme, the Martyrs, and the Itineraire. My political writings began with the Restoration. With those writings also began my active political existence. Here, therefore, ends my literary career properly so called, carried away by the flood of years I had omitted it. Not until this year, 1839, have I recalled the bygone times of 1800 to 1814. This literary career, as you have been free to convince yourselves, was no less disturbed than my career as a traveller and a soldier there were also labors and counters and blood in the arena all was not muses and Castalian spring my political career was even stormier perhaps some remains may mark the spot where stood my gardens of academus the génie du christianisme commences the religious revolution against the philosophism of the eighteenth century i was at the same time preparing the revolution which threatens our language for there can be no renewal of ideas without an accompanying renewal of style Will there be no other forms of art at present unknown when i am gone will it be possible to start from our studies of to-day in order to make progress as we ourselves have taken a step forward by starting from past studies are there limits which one could not overstep because one would then run against the nature of things do not those limits lie in the division of the modern languages in the decay of those same languages in human vanities such as modern society has made it languages do not follow the movement of civilization until they are on the point of attaining the period of their perfection having reached a zenith they remain stationary for a moment and then descend without being able to ascend again now the story which i am finishing joins the first books of my political life written previously at different dates i feel a little more courage on returning to the finished portions of my edifice when i resume my work i tremble lest the old son of silas should see the golden trowel of the builder of troy turn into a trowel of lead and yet it seems to me that my memory when bidden to pour me out my recollections has not failed me too greatly have you felt the ice of winter to a great extent in my narrative do you find an enormous difference between the extinct ashes which i have striven to revive and the living persons whom i have shown you in telling you of my early youth my years are my secretaries when one of them comes to die he passes the pen to his younger brother and i continue to dictate as they are of one family they write very nearly the same hand End of book 5 part 2